Turn in your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra chapter 3. We're speaking this morning on the power of the cross. The power of salvation, the power once again in the blood of Jesus. Is there only in here that would even say that one of the surest foundations in their go-to place is the cross of Jesus, that they never, He never lets us do? There's loads of different theories, theologies, ideas in church life, and especially modern church life, but there is something I am certain sure of that I can never shock off that Jesus will always forgive people that want forgiveness. And a great go-to message is the message of the cross because it always works. I'm saying this. You're always on a sure foundation when you preach and believe salvation and the cross of Christ and Him alone. And that there is forgiveness through His blood. Some of the things in the Christian life I'm not too sure on. We lay hands on the sick, we pray that they'll recover. Some do, some dinner. It's a great shame. But I do know this for every person that ever asked for forgiveness for Jesus, he's already committed. He will, he will, he will, he will. It's a great doctrine, it's a great truth, and it's on the number one list that the devil hates is a preaching of the cross and the preaching of the blood. Because that was the place that Christ conquered death, conquered hell, conquered the grave, and we can speak about Pentecost, and we can speak about signs and wonders, and we get very little results sometimes. But the preaching of the cross and the blood, I am convinced the devil wants to distract ministers, preachers, churchgoers, can hear them only why, but the cross, because the cross is the place of salvation. The cross is a place of redemption. It's a place that takes the craziest backslider, the craziest sinner for a crazy background and sorts them out and forgive them. You are not saved through power and Pentecost. You are saved through a pardon at the cross. If you wasn't here a few weeks ago, we spoke a little while on God stirring people's hearts. I'm not going to the hell back story, right? But God always wanted a place, a habitation of His presence, a place of praise, a place of worship, a place of sacrifice. King Solomon, beautiful, instituted and built this place. But yet the Jewish people turned their backs on God. And God, through prophets, through Jeremiah, says, look, it's not just your sin. Turn to me, repent. Things will be okay. I'm just wanting you to honor me. I'll meet you at the temple. Follow my ways. But they never. Their hearts got hardened, and they never repented. And then God says, okay, you will be exiled. I'm going to take an enemy, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. You've got to lose everything. You've got to be a foreign land. There'll be no temple, no place of worship. And for 70 years, these people, the Jewish people, were in exile. A few poor people got left behind. The last time I spoke, I said that Jesus, 
walks amongst the rubble, that Jesus was always stalwart in a place in His land, a place of worship, a habitation of His presence, and His idea, after 70 years, that people would come back in repentance to Car, Jerusalem, and Israel, a land flowing with milk and honey, their home. In God's eye, it was us. He wanted a people that would carry His presence, that would repent when they was out of sync with Him, that would praise Him, that would worship Him. And so this is the journey. And so Ezra, as we read through Ezra, chapter 1, chapter 2, it names the people that came back. In chapter 1, it says, as God, after 70 years, started to stir people's hearts to come back to Jerusalem, to build an altar, the place of sacrifice, to restore the walls that had been broken down. We read the story in Ezra and Nehemiah, how God began to work through His people again. And I wonder today that God is stirring people's hearts afresh again. This was the first inkling or a revival. This was the first happening of God's people coming together again to carry His presence. Now, we as the church are supposed to be living stones, a holy temple coming together. We are supposed to carry the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus, that feeling of joy, that feeling of peace, that presence within, that we are God carriers to our community and to the nations. And so we pick it up at Ezra chapter 3, the rebuilding of the altar. If you read Wema, in early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. A unified purpose. It's so important in church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we come together with a unified purpose. Then Joshua, son of Jehazadak, joined his fellow priests in Zerubbabel, son of Sheltiel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of the God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it, as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. Even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord each morning and evening. They celebrated the festival of shelters and prescribed in the law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offer the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebration. I can't add this, might just be wild well face you on about here. We'll read the Word of God and then we'll dig a bit deeper. Annual festivals as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord 15 days before the festival of shelters began. The priests had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundations of the Lord's temple. So there's a bit of a spiel there, isn't there? They come together and they say, right, let's reinstitute the first thing we are going to do. And it's a beautiful thing when they say, well, we'll reinstitute the place of sacrifice, the place, the altar. The burnt offerings, the festival of shelters, fit was significant about the burnt offerings we ask. If you read Leviticus 1, you will find us. The burnt offerings was significant, but it was the place that the offering, the honor place, was fully consumed. So we other offerings, some of the times a priest 
would hud back some of the lamb or some of the bull for the sake of consummation and communion. But the burnt offering, everything was given. And it was a pure and spotless lamb or bull if he was rich enough. If he was a poor person, guess, he had to offer up a pigeon. Like if it was us, it would be a scurry, right? You have to find a spotless, pure scurry and offer that sacrifice if you was poor. If you was rich enough for a lamb or a bull, you had to find a male, and it had to be pure, it had to be spotless. And then the priest would pay it on the altar, and there'd be a fiery, there'd be a, he would take some blood, he would sprinkle on the altar, but he wouldn't leave until this. Everything was gone. All the internal organs, everything. All the meat, everything was gone. The place of absolute sacrifice, the place of pain, pure lamb, the place of suffering, pure sheepy, the place of blood. And before the priest put the lamb on the altar, he had to lay hands as an identification that the sin was going on to the lamb, the sinless, spotless lamb, the identification that the sinlessness and the spotlessness of the lamb was going on to the priest, and it was like an exchange of sin and spotlessness. Full committal, a full burnt offering, nothing left on the table. And this is for the instituted for days and weeks in the last verse, this was even before they'd start to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Before they got to the external work, before they even put a brick dune on the temple that was the external beauty of what Jerusalem stood for, the first thing they went for as they came back, as their hearts were stirred, was the absolute sacrifice of the Lamb. What a beautiful picture! Oh, Calvary, what a beautiful picture of a people of oh God that wants to see Him move in our lives and in our community. That would we once again recognize the power and the sacrifice of Jesus. You look through the history of revivals, you look through the history of the Hebridean revival on our end shores, the most prevalent preaching the most prevalent songs that you will find will rejoice, will rejoice, will rejoice in the power of the old rugged cross. That something will happen in God's people's hearts that will say this, I have found a place of mercy. I have found a place of pardon. I have found a place that even though my life is out of control, I found a place that even if I cannot explain if it's happening in my own life, but as God's hand starts to stir his, stir his people's heart, I believe he will stir people's heart to go first to this, the cross, the place of salvation, the place the Urlama God that was slain left nothing on the table, a full sacrifice. He gave his every drop of his precious blood for you, 
fun was the last time you just wept or felt in your heart, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the place of sacrifice. I'm an undeserved sinner. I've still got it all together. God's got his hand on my life. And God has his hand on the life of the exiles. And the first didn't I miss us. Before the restoration of the temple, before the restoration of the protection were, they knew that they had to be dealt with through sacrifice and celebration. A returning people, returning with praise and thanksgiving, knowing that there was people who are sync with God and they came to repentance. And sometimes you feel as though the term repentance in the Christian world is like a bad word. I want to take repentance off the table. We don't want to cast sin, sin. We want to cast just failings and mistakes. We're so wrapped up in God's love that we forgot that the heart of God's love burst and bled at Calvary. That Calvary is about people like you, people like me, people with different backgrounds, being as one, we are right heart, right mind, being unified through the cross. The sacrifice of the blood that Jesus gave everything for you. To come and say sorry. And they just come once, but come again and say sorry. And I believe as God stars in our hearts, we'll hear a reignition, a revival, a refreshing of the preaching of the glory or the wonder of the cross. There's new songs to be written. It's near about getting back to the hymns. Some of you are here are excellent artists and poets, and you don't even know it. Some of you are in that realm of creativity. I pray that God stirs your heart to write poems once again about the cross, about suffering, about redemption, about salvation about the beauty, the magnitude, the awe and wonder of the cross. I've been to the cross many times to receive a pardon. It's the most intimate, heartfelt place you will get in the heart of God. I remember hearing a sermon of a guy at a popular church. He says, I didn't agree with us. You mark your own mind up. The church has lingered at the cross for too long and needs to move away. And a resurrection power and resurrection life. And maybe get the sentiment. It's not just about the sorrow. It's not about the suffering. It's about God and part in life. But every time. Only person or only church. Walks away deliberately. For the cross. For the place of salvation. God will show them. It's not going to work. He will show the church. How fallen and how failing they are. Like the exiles, until they come back with glad hearts, I've missed his forgiveness. There is no salvation apart by Christ and his blood. There is no mercy apart from Christ and his blood. Christian, fun was the last time 
you sat and allowed your heart to be stirred that you are forgiven through Christ's sacrifice. And ah, the theories and theologies we have, surely the number one is, thank you, Jesus, I'm saved through the blood and the hope of the nations. We pray as a Pentecostal church for the power of Pentecost. But I wonder if God will even take us back to the place of pardon. Have you wondered? Have you went adrift? God would hear you back in a second. And you will find your heart stirred again, made new again, forgiven again. That feeling of joy of being born again is there for us if we'd come to the cross. That was primary in God's heart for these exiles. Is it would you? If you was a father, they had given a son to save people that was wrong. And he lived his life sinless and spotless. And he loved them with an everlasting love. And he set in motion this, that an innocent person would die for the guilty. And imagine it was your son, hung naked on a cross, beaten, broken, bruised. Yet Christ's heart forgive them for they know not what to do. He breathed his last for you. It is finished. Says that Jesus was on a mission, set his face like flint towards the cross. All for the joy set before him, he endured this pain or the suffering of the cross. The sacrifice in that moment, the intimacy that was felt eternally between the loving Father and the Son, Jesus, was broken and Jesus cried out, Oh, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? I feel alone. But Jesus was forsaken for a moment, so you didn't have to feel one ounce or one second of abandonment for a loving father. But here's a father with tears in his eyes, watching his only begotten son crucified. Yet, it wasn't the end of the story. Jesus rose again in victory, proclaimed himself, Messiah, Savior, gave us an opportunity 2,000 years later all who would believe in the power of his name, the power of the blood would receive forgiveness. And if you was a heavenly father that had given everything to see people come into your eternal kingdom, you would want at least a great acknowledgement, a great appreciation, a great sound for God's people, your people, saying, thank you for the cross. Thank you for the suffering. Thank you that you died. It looked as though a sinful death. Although we know he was a sinless Lamb of God, but he was died a criminal's death. So that we could say, thank you, Jesus. We could worship him and be with him forevermore. I pray this morning as we take communion and just a second, that we would have fresh appreciation. Thank you, Jesus. This would be a holy moment. Fun was the last time you came to the altar. We took communion every week. 
And it, like on a thing, if you take it every week, it can become just religious and ritual because we date every week. But I pray that God, Apostle Paul, that knew the revelation of the body of Christ had been caught up into third heaven, would go around painting this picture, Christ crucified. And you'd say, I have tried to get the picture in your mind as though you were there or Christ being crucified. It's a message of hope. It's a message of change. And quite often, a lot of what you hear where pulpits is how to cope in the day of society. That we are things that's gone on in the day of society. What are the different things that's coming against the church? We get on the defensive and it's like, well, this is how you cope. This is how you cope. This is how a church copes in a day of society. We're now looking for people to cope. We're looking to see change. That we would be people changed, transformed by the power of God through the power of the cross and His shed blood. And our hope would be it wouldn't matter that people are gone through fit they identify us, that we would believe this thing for them. A pardon a change in their lives, a spiritual renewed to be born again. Are you with my church? It was the first thing before our thing. Are the grandeur, they had to get back to the place of sacrifice. And often the church, we're looking for loads of things. We're looking for the power. But I believe this morning that God would say, I'm willing, I'm able for a fresh pardon King David, if I would say King David's an absolute hero, would you say so? King David, tall hero, eh? Total hero. Anointed through the prophet Samuel. Samuel showed up and knew he was anoint a king. And Jesse says, I'll give you the, the best of the, the brothers. And Samuel went, no, 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 it's no, 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 it's no. There, there must be one other. And Jesse was like, for him, he's a shepherd boy. He's never got a big king, but there is another reign. He's a, he's a black sheep of the family. Let's go get him. So they go get him. Samuel, this is the one. This is the one I've been sent to anoint. Get a hail jug. We anoint here. We have a few drops, a hail jug of oil. Whoosh, I'll retap him. After being anointed, he was years in the wilderness, hiding from King Saul that wanted to, to snuff him out. Little, little David, anointed to be king, near the position to be king, yet anointing always comes first before positions. But he was anointed to be king, lived in the wilderness, had an opportunity to snuff out this bad King Saul. He could have had an opportunity with a dagger in his hand to slice him. He could have teen vengeance. He says, no, I will not touch God's anointed. Let King Saul live. He wouldn't let nobody put a hand on King Saul. This was a guy of honor, respect, loved God, worshipped him in the desert, gave you Psalm 23 and a host of other Psalms. He grew up to be God's anointed, great worship leader, God's anointed king. He went into battle. Every time God gave him success against Philistines and other rulers, God extended his kingdom through King David. I want to tell you as well, that's a great preaching of King David, but King David was also a man, and he was a man that one day would make an incredible mess, a greater mess than any of you or me sitting here the day. Before he seen Bathsheba, like she was here in a bath, and he was like, okay, problem, Bathsheba was already married. 
You know what King David did? He went and got a husband killed. But does that make you? Makes you a murderer. And then got together with Bathsheba. Bathsheba had a child. And King David made a mess. He tried to cover it. Then Nathan approached him and says, look. He gave him an illustration and says, look. Father's man about. It was about him. King David had a choice. Run away, ignore God, as many people had done. Or he recognized this. Hear us. God is a forgiven God. He'll always forgive you, and there's always a place of forgiveness and redemption. This David could have been full of pride and went his own way. But he gave us not only Psalm 23, he gave us Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is not only David's song, looking for redemption. What I tell you, I could relate to this psalm over and over again. It's a beautiful psalm. Because it sees God straightforward. He's merciful. He's just. And He's loving. And the best place you can go right now is the mercy seat of Jesus Christ. The mercy seat. If it was a seat of wrath, then one of us would have a chance of marking it into his love and care and carry in his presence again. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God. And maybe somebody in here needs to hear this this morning. Because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blow out the stain of my sins. He wasn't looking for power. He was already powerful. He was looking for a pardon. And he knew far to find it in the heart of God. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from sin. He'd gotten loose. He'd made a mess. But there is always a way back. Do you believe that this morning? There is always a, there's got to be always a way back. The people of God will realize there's always a way back. This might be your third time in a cycle of sin and you cannot shake it off like Taylor Swift, the poet would say. There's always a way. Whether it's the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time, you need to realize God is a forgiven God. He's a compassionate God. And he didn't put Jesus and Jesus didn't allow himself to go on a cross to pardon some of your sin, your little sins that people didn't care about, or even the big drug addict sins that people did care about. It's sin. Little, small, big, massive, public, hidden, everything in between. There is always a way back to receive God's mercy and goodness. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. Oh, it's easy to look at the world and say, look at their rebellion. Oh, it's easy to look at uh, political people and say, well, that's not really godly, is it? I see their rebellion. Well, if the mirror is held up when you're reading the Word of God and you see your rebellion, 
You say, oh, John, I mean, I wasn't expecting that. I'm quite comfortable looking at the world and preaching against the world. Oh, but when God gets your heart and he does a true work in your heart and you realize, yeah, I'm not great myself here. I can be quite lax with my Bible reading and I'm expecting the world to read us. I can be quite lax with my prayer life, social media can take out my spare time and God starts working in your heart because he's wanting you to be a habitation in his presence. But first, he needs you to come and receive your, your pardon. Before he can be a habitation in a temple, you must receive a pardon. I would love to say, after all these years of being saved, I've been to the cross once and ah, never needed it again. I've never needed a pardon. I've been pretty good, like. God's been merciful. But praise God, He shows us how wayward we can be, yeah? And then you get slack on somebody else, not because you're a slack preacher, because you can. Apostle Paul wrote this. Mark what fit you well. He says, I'm the worst of sinners. He said, I've got something to tell you that should receive your full attention and full acceptance. I'm the worst of sinners. But Jesus Christ came to save. And it keeps you humble. And it keeps you from judging people. When you realize, I'm just a fallen guy saved. It'll keep you your heart pure. It'll keep your heart close to the Father. And I need to try and sort out the world and what's going on there. Like God, they are working us as God's people. We follow our pardon. You will be follow our pardon for other people. Your heart is full of that forgiveness. Everybody out with a Jesus, they don't need a moral talk. They don't believe in your God or your Bible anyway. They need to see a people that's forgiven people that's changed, people that's been to the mercy seat, that them themselves have received mercy, and we are the people of reconciliation that will say, there's a loving Father, you're lost, I've been to the mercy seat, let's go together so that we can both receive mercy and we can be the transformed people of God. Against you alone I have sinned, I've done what is evil in your sight, this is your hero. King David speaking, I've done evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. He says, I've got no way to hide. You're just. Your judgment, if, ever you, if I'm out of line with you, I'm, you're just. You're God. I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment of my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty. I don't care if it's there. You desire perfection. And so you desire perfection for the day you come out. You desire honesty. Check your heart. Be honest. Come to the mercy seat. Teaching me wisdom even there. Purify me from my sins. I will be clean. Wash me. I will be whiter than snow. Do you see the hope? God, if you wash me, if you cleanse me, that crimson stain will be gone. I'll feel pure again. I'll feel free again. Now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt, creating me a clean heart. He says, God, 
I know for it is to feel clean. But now I know for it is to be a sinner in need of repentance. Create in me a clean heart. I knew for it was to be clean. Cleanse me again. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy or name my salvation or his salvation. The joy of your salvation. I feel lost. Find me again. Make me willing to obey you. Change me. Mark my be like you. Then I will teach your ways. He said, I'm going to come with a testimony. And the testimony will be as my God is a forgiven God. I'll teach people your ways. I'm going to tell them that God is merciful. God can change your life. God can blot out your sins. God can change you. God could reinstitute your family. God could raise you up. God could be a habitation of your prayers. God could give you joy again. Do you believe that? Do you believe it through the pardon and the pardon alone? Or are you looking for something else? God has given us one thing. Christ. Salvation through his blood. I'll end. And then we'll go ahead communion together. If the worship team would like to come back up. Forgive me for shedding blood. He realizes he went months without thinking this was bad. And you've maybe had stuff in your life that you have went months and years harboring stuff and attitude and habits. And now you're thinking, hold on. That's not right. Coming back. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. Do you hear his heart? You do not desire a sacrifice, he says. It's not about the bulls and lambs just now. It's not about offering up a lamb with a wayward heart. There's got to be a time for that. Listen if it verse 17 says, as he draws us to a close, the sacrifice you desire. What is God looking for? They're wayward people. Broken spirit. A moment in worship when you just weep. A broken and repentant heart, oh God. Oh, look with favor on Zion and help her rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will be pleased with the sacrifices offered in the right spirit. And burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Bulls again will be sacrificed on your altar. This was King David that made a mess. He's looking for redemption. Did God give him redemption? Well, David and Bathsheba would then hear another child, Solomon. Solomon would defit. He'd reign in peace. Who would he build? Bible students. He would build the temple. Ooh, an absolute mess. He was a guy. They managed to bring it all together and build a, the most incredible building. David, uh, God says to King David, you want to build the temple? You've got blood in your hands. But our son is going to come for you. It's got to be through him. You didn't tell me God's not a good God. The Solomon that came through David and Bathsheba was then going to build the most beautiful temple, the altar of God, the sacrifice is a habitation that says when they dedicated the temple, he came for happened, that the ministers could not even preach. You'd be glad for that, wouldn't you? 
because of the presence, the Shekinah glory came in this temple that Solomon built. And here they are, hundreds of years later, back as exiles, building again the altar. Church, it's time to build the altar again. To get before you the mercy seat of Jesus. Receive your pardon. Be excited again with the wonder of the cross of Calvary. You have received redemption through the blood of Jesus. What an awesome story. That you would be forgiven and that change would change your life now and forevermore. And you will be in heaven. Not so much because of Pentecost, but because of your pardon. We believe in Pentecost. God will get His church on to pardon for Pentecost by our redeemed people. Let's stand. I've said enough. As the word is preached, I just pray that you examine your heart. I just wish I could invite you sometimes just to walk with me and ask think God ministry. And you see God's blessing and God's hand and God move, yet you deal with broken people in need of redemption and need of forgiveness. And people look at, and there has been this ministerial superstars that we've got together and you're the people that come to hear God's word. But I wish I could take you by the hand sometimes and see how before God I still recognize myself as a person in need of forgiveness. And at that time, I, I hope I never lose it. That place close to the altar for Christ is that place that you come and I come with our baggage our hang-ups our burdens and we'll recognize ourselves in the light of our holy God and we plead to his mercy and yet we come again and we know it's a place of intimacy and of forgiveness Oh, a special place in God's heart. I pray as we come in a time of communion together that this would be special for you as you would come afresh. And praise God, maybe you're feeling clean. Maybe you're feeling in that moment you're the most intimate time with the Father you've ever been. And I'm sure you would join with me anyway and say, thank you, Jesus for his blood. You would maybe be the loudest praiser of God's name because you feel clean. It's a gift to feel clean before a holy God and have a clean conscience. And yet maybe you'd come in the quietness of your heart as you break bread and drink wine, you'd recognize again, oh God, here I am. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Feel as though I've been in exile. I waffle God's presence, but I'm back. There's only one way back. Through the shedding of your blood and the hope we have in your name. And God, I pray 
that this would be an intimate time. Your people, and maybe even for them, it's their first morning here. Some of this would have just been revelation, good food for a broken soul. And as we come, I partake of the emblems that this wouldn't be a religious moment, be a presence moment. You are looking for a people of humility that would lift up the name of Jesus, that would recognize your sacrifice. And as we worship your holy name, we say together, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way. Thank you, Jesus, that you shed your blood, your spotless blood, so that we could be forgiven, so that us could come. We are a rebellion and sin and say, forgive us. For we have sinned and we would be sure that you would wash us white as snow, that you would clean our conscience and we would be set free in the presence of our resurrected Christ. Let us come. Let us come. Rebuild the altar. Rebuild the altar in your heart. Let your heart be a place of sacrifice, of praise to your God. He will rebuild the altar in your heart a spiritual altar of sacrifice and praise that once again you will waken up in the morning and say, Thank you, Jesus. You have made all things new. Stir up the altar in the hearts of the people of God that we would yet again sing new praises to God by the cross of Calvary, the shedding of your blood. Stir us up, God. Salvation through the blood. Forgiveness through the blood. We love you, Jesus. Like you, there is no other. And there's always a way back. Let's come before him in humility and songs of praises as we partake of the emblems. <laughs>